So Andre already wasted two good stories. But I couldn't talk about them on the show because they were uh, I think you the consultants. Uh, they weren't specific. It would have been all right. And two good show titles would have come out of those stories too. So we're already behind the eight ball in this episode. <laughs> but we have a lot to talk about. All right. Uh, First up, Rob Walling. Rob Walling. So we last a, week... We could do a correction retraction type of a thing for good yeah. ethics. Yeah, yeah. So last week, uh, his product, Hittail, like sent you an email as we were starting the podcast. And like in the title was like something about growth hacking or sales or whatever. I don't know what the title of the subject was. But uh, so you made like an off-cuff just joke about it since you knew we were going to be talking about growth hacking and people doing bad stuff with it. And then we only gave it like, you know, we talked about something else for a minute. And then we jumped into um, people on the Bootstrapped FM forums who were doing bad stuff uh, regarding growth hacking. But we weren't really clear that that was, had nothing to do at all with Rob Walling or Hittail or anything like that. And it didn't, it doesn't love Rob. Hittail's great. I've used Rob's other products. He's not uh, doing any of the sleazy stuff that um, we talked about with you know, not letting you remove your account or spamming the forums and all that stuff. So none of that was in regard to his product. So we just wanted to clear that up. Um, yeah, it was just a coincidence. We happened. I knew that we were going to start talking about uh, growth hackers as the first topic. And Rob's email just happened to hit uh, my inbox at that moment. And the title had to do with growth hacking. So I just mentioned that the email came in. And then the transition sort of wasn't clear <laughs> that we were not going to talk about. Well, that... That's the problem with these spammers, right? Because like, so I purposefully didn't mention like the name of the company and the person because then that's like feeding into it, right? Like they spam your forums and then you mention the company. Well, now thousands of people are hearing about the name of the company, which you, <laughs> you know, like there's no winning. But like then I did, so I didn't mention it. But then it implicates somebody who's not doing anything wrong that we talked about previously. So it's like there's no freaking winning. Yeah. Bastards. Uh, so, sorry, Rob. Nothing to do with uh, you or Hittail or anything. Yep, yep. All right. So uh, related to that, before we get into some of the meteor stuff, um, Rob actually then uh, happened to tweet me uh, yesterday or the day before about uh, how he saved thousands of dollars due to the tax credit we talked about on Bootstrapped uh, Episode 4. And... Uh, so I just wanted to mention that again here since it's still potentially time for people to sneak that in if you're in the United States. It's um, the Section 199 tax credit. It's a manufacturing tax credit. And we have a link, uh, we'll put it in the show notes, but we also have a forum thread on it up on the boards. And basically, uh, the government considers software manufacturing. And so you can take a credit, which is like a direct, you know, credit against your bill. So it's actual money. Um, for, and it's a substantial amount. It's like six or eight percent or something like that. Uh, that you get to take off your taxes if you sell uh, software, either that's downloadable or retail box software, or uh, in most cases, SaaS software. Um, so everybody should talk to their accountants about that. In Rob's case, he had to backstate several years because it was worth. Uh, the money and effort to do that. I also had to do that when I first found out about this many years ago. So uh, yeah, a lot of people don't know about it. A lot of accountants don't know about it. So you kind of have to bring it to their attention and then they check it out and then they say, oh crap, we haven't been giving you that. And they give you back lots of money. So 
Cool. Yeah. Um, Sounds okay. good. Sounds good to I do care, that. I care nothing about this. <laughs> you, not you have money from software. You should care. We've gone through me and my relationship with taxes. Oh my goodness! I don't. I don't. I don't recognize taxes as a realistic entity. I just saw today that the, uh, the IRS uh, came down with a ruling on Bitcoin, so and all their virtual currency that it's all basically to be taxed as regular cash. So all those uh, gigs you were doing, Andre, for Bitcoin, you're gonna have to pay taxes on those. <laughs> yeah, one more thing I couldn't care less about Bitcoin. That's two things. My wife takes care of all the taxes for the company, and I'm very happy that I don't have to know anything about it. You know what's funny about this thing is uh, this tax credit is that it's like the it's actually very straightforward. Like you can actually read the rule on it, and it makes actual sense to a normal human. Whereas in my gigantic tax return for all these states we deal with and all this crap that's like inches thick. This is like one of the few things I actually understand. You know what? You should prepend all of this tax conversation with like a thing that says, um, I have a degree in, in accounting. <laughs> and, and that's why I'm talking about this. And it's fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> why is saving thousands of dollars not fun for everybody? Do you not have a degree in accounting? I do. There you go. But I know, I, I literally don't know anything about accounting. <laughs> <laughs> I know nothing about accounting at all. Literally. I don't remember anything. I don't think I even knew much when I got out of school about it. And <laughs> and now I know nothing at all. So um and you know, the rules and things you learn, most of that's like garbage and they're all just like you gotta look it up anyway, so it's all silly. Yeah. Save thousands of dollars is the the real moral of the story. Yeah, I'll, I'll put in a link in the show notes. You click on that. You read some forum threads, and you save thousands of dollars. There you, there you go. go. That's true. Value added podcasting. We made you thousands of dollars just now. How many podcasts can say that? Not many. <laughs> and this is guaranteed. This isn't like, oh, do this tricks and tips, and maybe you know your website will convert more. No, this is definitive. If you sell software. You take this credit, you make thousands of dollars. Thousands. Well, the prerequisite is you have to actually have sold some software. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> true. You do, and you have to be paying yourself W-2. I guess that is another aspect of it. Apparently, some people don't, which makes me feel scared for them. <laughs> On the forums, it was actually pointed out that I guess if you're an LLC, you don't have to do, you, you don't pay yourself W-2. So, But if you're an S-corp or you a regular do. corp, then you do. You, you should anyway. So you should do that too. I'm gonna not here. We're gonna save people more money in fees and penalties. That if you're making some money on your software business, you and your S corp, you need to pay yourself regular wages and pay your Medicaid, Medicare, whatever, all those other payroll taxes. Yeah. Or the man will come and get you. Long arm, <laughs> long arm of the law. Um, now we're saving yeah. jail time. We're saving jail time for people and money. Look at that. Look at that. Super value added. <laughs> all right, look at you're you're all frumpy, and we're gonna get into the details of why. I'm not frumpy. You're frumpy. I don't know what frumpy means. Frumpy. All right. Like no, you're kind of frumpy. Like you're a little bit down. You're a little bit surly. I'm <clears throat> I'm butov. <laughs> well, you are generally like that, but you're extra today. Um, you want to get into it? No, the chasing chasing product. Um, just a quick right. note. Well, the um, 
<laughs> Chris Hawking uh, had a great episode with Alex Yumashev from Jitbit mm-hmm. on uh, the a recent episode of a Chasing Product. And I, I really liked it because now I know I'm not an outlier in the way I run my business. Because um, Alex at Jitbit, they have the same approach to where I think the quote was that they released 35 apps and like eight of them were making money and the rest they either dropped or, or put somewhere in the backlog or somewhere right. just <laughs> sitting there. Uh, so they tend to have the same approach to where you just release stuff and see if it works and if it doesn't, it becomes just the thing that lays there on the floor dying, which is fine. This is the way I run my business, but I've never met anybody before who ran their businesses that way. And But, of course, you wind up facing the same sort of um, issues along the way with uh, branding and positioning because if you put everything sort of up in one place like that because your website has a lot of traction with Google now because it's been up since 2005, right. but you wind up having like a whole bunch of disconnected apps up there in one place, uh, you justify it to yourself by saying, uh, it's okay because Microsoft does that. <laughs> right. Um, but in in a way, um, you also know that you should be sort of positioning to where where if somebody says the name of your company, they should know what you make. And if you make a whole bunch of different things, then uh, you you lose that that word of mouth thing where somebody says, "Oh, Jitbit," or "Oh, Ontario, they make this." Right. It doesn't work that way anymore because now you make a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so, so he's, uh, Alex is also sort of, uh, conflicted and doesn't know how to resolve that situation. And I've, I've been there as well. Um, I wound, I wound up, um, uh, putting stuff, our new stuff on, on different domains and a lot of our stuff is mobile. So we don't suffer from that as much as he does, but his stuff is, right. you know, some of it is SaaS, some of it is self-hosted, some of it is uh, desktop apps and, and they're all sort of living on, on, on some subdirectory or something over at Jitbit, although he does have separate subdomains, but most of his traffic from what I get is because Jitbit has this uh, pull with Google. And uh, so he's suffering from a little bit of uh, not being able to position the company properly, which I totally understand. So, and, and he has the background in the financial sector like I do, so we're kind of paralleling each other and our histories and the way we run our company. So... Um, it was an interesting episode, but more personally, it it made me feel better that I'm not sort of like this weird outlier in the way <laughs> I'm running my company. Yeah, he's a funny guy. He's because uh, they sell help desk software, so he's technically a competitor. Although I don't feel like we actually not very often where somebody I find is evaluating like HelpSpot and and their product together. But um, he's it's an ASP product, so I think it's kind of like different circles. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, he often goes to the uh, business of software conference, and so we usually talk there. And it's always funny because people like join in a conversation with us, and they kind of pick up after ten minutes that we actually sell pretty much the exact same product. And they're <laughs> like, "Why are you guys talking?" Like, and we'll be talking about like what we're doing strategy wise and stuff. And uh, but we kind of have a friendly relationship like that. But yeah, he does. It's amazing how much stuff they crank out. I don't even know. Like, I mean, I think they're. That for a while, um, I'm not sure how big they are. Did he say in there? I think they have like five people. Maybe yeah, I think something like four or five people. Yeah, but I think so, they're distributed. I think he's in England and other people yeah. elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think he's from Russia or the Ukraine or somewhere like that originally. But uh, yeah, he's uh, so like they crank out an amazing amount of stuff. I don't know, like even just the two products for us, it's like, whoa, it's just like so much stuff. I don't even know. And it's always amazing uh, you guys who can have a whole bunch of different things up in there at once. Yeah. He's going to be at MicroConf, so you could you could talk to him. 
but okay, uh, I saw that. Though. I don't know if he's going to be at Laracon, which is the only place I'm leaving the house. For. <laughs> yeah, I, d- I doubt it since he's <laughs> an ASP guy. Um, cool. So yeah, I haven't that. listened to that one yet. That's one I haven't listened to yet, so I will have to uh, have to listen to that over there at the uh, Chasing Product podcast. Um. So the Carmack thing. All right, let's get let's get to it. Let's talk through it. We're going to take our time. We're going to go slow. Well, start, I kind of have thoughts. We're going to start at the beginning. You should start at the beginning. Yeah, okay. But I have thoughts, but they're not right. really organized. So, oh, well, that's a problem. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna talk for the next hour. All right, you you let it out. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to guide us into somewhere that makes some uh, sense. So the the okay. So I guess there's a bunch of people who are listening to this who are not in this circle at all. So right. Um. So the background. So Id is um is is the the company that founded the first person shooter and sort of the company that all gaming ever started from um and uh, so they it was started by uh, John Carmack who we talked about a bunch earlier in the earlier episodes um uh, about him being sort of um uh, without um insulting anybody sort of like the messiah of the development community especially game developers Right. Um, and he's like he's like the main. Like everybody looks up to this guy. He's every, the, he's the, the guy super that, genius. Yeah, everybody. He's the Bill, to Bill Gates of games, kind of that kind of guy. Yeah, no. <laughs> I kind of think of him as Bill Gates of games. Uh, yeah, I don't know if developers look at Bill Gates in the same light as they look at Car- they they would look at Carmack with more of an um, uh, aspirational thing. I guess maybe um, business people would look at Bill Gates the same way developers would look at Carmack. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, so the, the history of it is that there, there's a book called Masters of Doom, um, by David Kushner. It's on Amazon. It's a great read. Even if you don't care about gaming or Carmack or Ed, it's just a great read is in as far as bootstrapped, really bootstrapped, uh, software companies in their early days and things like that. It's a great thing to read. Um, so, but it all went downhill when, it uh, sold to Zenimax in 2009, um, mm. Bethesda. And um, that was sort of the first sign that Carmack doesn't really want to be involved in the <clears throat> big picture management stuff. Um, and then in August of last year, he joined as uh, CTO of uh, Oculus. And then in November, he resigned from id uh, to be full-time at Oculus. Um and you should explain what Oculus is. So, so, so Oculus is, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later, I guess. But Oculus is um, is a virtual reality headset, uh, which is sort of like the first uh, viable virtual reality headset. There's been attempts in the past about this. And if you listen to uh, the uh, keynote from 2012 and 2013, nor 2012 for the keynote from QuakeCon, uh, Carmack sort of talks about the history of the, the virtual reality headset situation and all that and Oculus. But um, so, so, so he doesn't want to be, uh, Carmack's not like a big picture person. He said as much during the 2012 keynote. He just wants to be sort of left alone to write code and do right. interesting work. It's right, the cartoon image that comes out of this is Carmack sort of sitting in a chair in front of a keyboard and a monitor typing away. And then every few years, somebody comes along, lifts him up with the chair, and then plops him down in front of a monitor <laughs> in some different place, and he just continues to work without right. even noticing. It. Um, so, so the, the thing is that uh, uh, the Oculus uh, um, w- was started by this like twenty-year-old kid, uh, Lock, uh, Palmer Lucky, 
<clears throat> and then uh, Carmack was sort of in the middle of this, coincidentally, that he was trying to gather uh, bits and pieces to put together a virtual reality set on his off, off time, and all the current offerings were like shit, and Palmer Lucky was sort of doing the same thing, um, and they were on the same forum, and so Carmack sort of uh, pulled his you know fame card a little bit and asked uh, Palmer to send him his prototype kit to see what that's all about, of course, you know. Carmack asks you for something, you send it to him. Right. Um, <laughs> so he sent it over, and, and uh, long story short, it's like a, it, was, it was going in the right direction. So Carmack decided that this is where he wants to go now with his career. And so he joined Oculus, and they did a Kickstarter, and they asked for a quarter of a million dollars, and they got like two and a half million out of that. And so there's a whole movement now towards VR. Michael Abrash is working on this in parallel at Valve, and uh, Carmack at Oculus, and this is like a big thing now in the gaming community. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, um, you know, Carmack actually credit... So, so now, and, and yesterday, uh, it wound up being that... Um, I'm sure this was VC-driven, but Oculus sold to uh, Zuckerberg, to Facebook, right. um, which, was, uh, which, which sent Twitter up in the roar. Uh, everybody screaming and yelling and being sad and millions of developers mourning all at once. Right. Um, because there's like, there's nothing like, there's nothing like worse than having John Carmack work for Facebook. Now. It's like, <laughs> it's a sort of absurdity. It's like, um, it's like having him go work for King or Zynga or something. Um, so, um, you know, Carmack actually credited Notch, uh, the, um, developer of Minecraft, as being sort of the catalyst for some of the recent decisions he made, you know, to leave it and such. I don't remember the details, mm. but I think there was a tweet from Carmack to Notch to that effect. And then a reciprocal tweet back from Notch where he's basically going, oh, gosh. Um, really? Because Carmack was like a big influence on Notch. I think right, there's even a, a mention. Yeah, in the, in, the, um, in the documentary for Minecraft, there was a mention of that. And they met. And I think Notch was an investor in Oculus for like early seed, I think part of the Kickstarter or independently or something. Yeah, I think he was just in the Kickstarter, he said. For like I 10 grand. He's like at the top tier. And there's even a photo of, uh, of Carmack and his sons meeting Notch recently. His kids are Minecraft fans. I guess all kids are Minecraft fans. So. Right. Um, so there's a lot of developers who became developers, especially game developers, because of Carmack, right? <clears throat> but yesterday, Notch did write up a blog post, and he put in like ten grand, I think. And um, so, in the, first, he he visited their offices at Oculus because that was part of the one of the things you get if you put in the high tier uh, Kickstarter contribution you get to go and spend a day at the Oculus offices right. so he went basically because he wanted to meet Carmack because right. he knew he was going to be there and they met and uh, uh, and um, <clears throat> that was a couple of weeks ago I think and yesterday he wrote up a blog post saying that I definitely want to be part of uh, uh, VR but I, I will not work with Facebook's uh, their motives are too unclear and shifting, and they haven't historically been a stable platform. And there's nothing about their history that makes me trust them, and that makes them seem creepy to me. Right, because they were trying to talk to him, obviously, because Oculus needs content, and so Minecraft on Oculus. That's right. Makes he, he some was, sense. That's right. He was trying to push his own company to sort of support Oculus more right. with their own games. As he said, he didn't chip in ten grand to seed a first investment round to build value for a Facebook acquisition. And uh, while he's congratulating both Facebook and Oculus owners, he says, this is where we part ways. So he's either not going to contribute as an investor anymore, or he's not going to uh, contribute as a 
his time to doing Oculus support anymore. Basically, distancing himself from this, I guess. Right. Not not going to work on Minecraft for Oculus and all that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so Oculus is a is 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 a game changer. Um, people have a tendency to think that developers swoon over every piece of technology. That, like we go gaga over everything with a circuit board that comes along. Which which um, we do. I don't think we do. I think in reality we're pretty jaded. I mean, I, <clears throat> I talked about this with Gavin a while back, and I think I mentioned it to you mm. also a couple of times that when we were kids, those Tiger Electronics like football games with the little single light that went up and down the field right. type of things, those were big. It was a big deal to get your hands on one of those. And, like you were excited. And now I'm literally looking at like tens of thousands of dollars worth of phones and tablets sitting on my desk. And each of which could deliver like an eternity of entertainment better than anything I get hold of back then. And I couldn't care less. And the Rift was like the first thing that I really looked forward to in a long time. It was it was a sort of thing where if they could achieve presence, but presence, if, if you Google, uh, those are interested in this, if you Google Michael Abish's talk at the uh, Valve Steam Days. That was a recent talk from this year. He talks about presence, and uh, I think the way he puts his presence is basically uh, there's a set of thresholds that a piece of technology in VR has to pass through in terms of resolution and re- realism and all that, mm. where um, it, you can no longer rationalize your mind into not believing that you're not where your senses tell you you are. So if you if you if you're in the virtual reality world. Uh, and and uh, it's not realistic enough. Like the, the resolution is too too low, and maybe the movement is not is not realistic enough, or there's something that's not quite there yet. Um, you you could and, and you're in a dangerous situation inside the VR world. That you could totally rationalize it, like whatever. I'm wearing a headset and I'm sitting in my bedroom, type of thing. But presence is this sort of physiological threshold that your body passes, where if the technology passes that threshold and you're inside the VR world and there's a, a boulder hanging over your head on a string uh you will start like sweating and you will start being nervous and you will want to move away because you will no longer be able to rationalize your mind and believing that you're not there sort of thing it's like a physiological right. response type of thing so uh, they're close to achieving that in the release version they're not there yet in the sort of the development kit too but they need the development kits for developers to start making content for it but i um, i think the final version that's going to be available to the public will have reached that presence uh threshold and that makes it a game changer because that's a sort of thing where you will eventually have sort of uh aa meetings for vr addicts like you could imagine that being like a sort of like people becoming shut-ins and just living and like like they could have sex in there you know like it's a sort of thing where it completely (laughs) changes your and once you reach that level of realism and surrounding uh that could replace your entire sort of uh golden reality so i could totally imagine it reaching the point where you would have sort of like addiction to vr and things like that so um uh, Oculus is a game changer, and Carmack is like the perfect person to lead the project. You literally could not think of anyone alive more fitting. Make it, maybe Abrash, but he'd have to like team up with Carmack. And Abrash is actually working on this stuff in parallel at Valve. Um, so, so having Carmack work on it is perfect, and having it backed by Kickstarter is, is also sort of perfect because now like the 
they're free to do their own stuff and the development community is supporting them. So everything was like going along on rails. It was like perfectly on target. Right. Um, and, and then, and then this Facebook thing, which there's a Palmer lucky went on Reddit today to, right. uh, uh, sort of, um, tell everybody why this was happening and, 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 and describe what's going on. And, and he just got downloaded into oblivion. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just, uh, scary what the, the responses that he's getting. And it's, um, uh, it, it is sounding he, a little bit PR. He did have one good point, which was that right now they have to use leftovers of like the mobile phone industry for like all their hardware. Cause they don't have, they can't like produce their own. Mm-hmm. And so obviously with, so the Facebook, I don't know if we actually said, bought them for $2 billion. Which yeah, which is, is bullshit money. A lot of cash. Uh, but I, I don't know if it's actual cash or if it's No, stock. it's mostly stock. It's like uh, 400 million or 40 million or something in cash and the rest is Okay, stock. so it's kind of fake money anyway. But presumably they'll have some kind of budget now to actually procure hardware versus just whatever screens and chips are kind of lying around from phones, which I, mean, I guess I could see that as potentially useful. Yeah, so my wife always has a great uh, perspective on these things because she's not uh, involved in the, the like, minute-to-minute Twitter universe, right. but she has that economics background on this. So, you know, whenever we talk about this stuff, at the end of the day, she always has like a more interesting perspective. So she said right away that Oculus needed the money because like a two billion and nineteen billion that the, the Facebook paid for that chat app. Right. Two billion for this is nothing. So uh, either you know, either Oculus needed the money or like. Zuckerberg and Palmer uh, got drunk in the bar, right. <laughs> and like Zuckerberg asked Palmer, "How much money would you consider to be a lot of money?" And Palmer said, "A billion." And Zuckerberg said, "I'll double it," you know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so they paid something like nineteen billion for the chat app, and something that's going to change the landscape of gaming is two billion. So uh, v- Vicky said that Oculus needed the money, and Carmack actually hinted at the same thing yesterday when he tweeted that. Uh, for the record, I'm coding right now, just like I was last week. So like nothing's changed, but. He expects that the Facebook deal will avoid several, uh, quote, embarrassing scaling crises uh, for the company. So they probably busted through their um, uh, Kickstarter funds, of course, by now, and, and sure. they're, they're looking for some money out of this. But Zuckerberg annoys me. Yeah, like, I mean, even, that's like the worst place he, they could have gone in terms of support from the developer world. Even though I don't know anything about him, which makes it sort of unfair and petty, but um, young people in general annoy me, and, and and young people running companies uh, having so much influence over other people bothers me in almost every situation. Like uh, Zuckerberg participated in this video promo a short while back, where uh, famous software developers and hackers uh, and Zuckerberg encouraged people to learn how to code, and like that annoyed. It's funny every time he appears, every time he appears somewhere like on stage or anything, my instinct is always to say like like hush, the grown ups are talking. uh, We're in a situation now with this Oculus and Facebook thing where imagine you're a sort of independent wealthy kid, like Richie Rich. Am I dating myself here by using Richie Rich? So if Zuckerberg is in that position and he sees like a cool toy that he wants to have, because he tried this thing on, right? And he wrote about how much he's obsessed with it. People are are just going nuts over this thing, the ones who have tried it. Uh, So you see, you're a rich kid and you see a cool toy you want to have. So he throws a tantrum and stomps his feet. And, and buys it for himself, right? So now you're in a position where two things can happen. Either he plays with it and breaks it, or he plays with it, it gets bored, and throws it in the corner. So if Oculus moves fast before Zuck breaks it completely or abandons it, then they may be able to take advantage of 
the momentum to release the public version of the Rift, even if it has a Facebook logo on it, and then have it become somewhat mainstream. And if the product is less than what the developer community initially imagined, at least the viability of having that product go mainstream would provide sort of funding for stronger competition from like Sony or something and maybe other companies. And then it would be a matter of execution and marketing because Carmack can make the good execution on this thing, but the marketing could, uh, could right, position it, could be it to be, it could become a gimmick, which is a possibility instead of a serious thing. Um, but, but overall, like the whole thing is that um, Carmack, for me at least here, is a more important topic than the Oculus. Carmack is sort of the platonic ideal. Um, it, it, this is, it's sort of, he represents that it's okay if you're not the most social person in the world and it's okay that all you want to do is, is for people to leave you alone so you could write some code and you could have those things and still become successful and gain the respect of your peers just by being smart. And it's like every geek's life right. plan, right? <laughs> and it's funny that when I heard Vicky say that they sold the company because they really needed the money because my first thought was like, wouldn't it be cool if somebody started like a fundraiser and every geek donated $5 just so we could get Carmack into an office <laughs> so he could sit alone and not be bothered and build cool things. And then I sort of realized that's exactly what he got through this Facebook deal. Yeah. That's exactly what he kept getting through all of these shifts in, in his careers. Right. That all he wants to do is to be left alone and not do the management of the company. And when that changes and he's forced into like a situation where he sort of uh, gets interrupted from his work, he will change his context. Well, I mean, I guess that could happen for him. Yeah. Like I'm presumably, I, I was wondering too, I don't know if he, is he an owner of Oculus or does he just work there? No, I assume he, he has some shares, I guess. I don't know, but, but he, he took the CTO position. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah, I guess he could always leave. I mean, that's the thing. Like Facebook, it's kind of be interesting to see because, like, with the WhatsApp and WhatsApp and uh, Oculus, like they're claiming obviously that everybody can just do whatever they want and they don't have to integrate with anything, and they don't, you know, presumably these are just some kind of investments in the future. But obviously, that can all change if they stop making money. So I guess that'll be kind of when the rubber hits the road. But also, I wonder too if. I kind of wonder if Oculus just really had no choice. Also, like, I mean, yeah, you have Sony who's working on stuff. Presumably, Microsoft would be working on stuff. Valve. So they probably didn't really have that much money. I mean, if you have three or four million dollars from Kickstarter and they probably had some other investors by now, but, uh, you know, those are some pretty big companies with a lot of funding. Um, I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's uh, some sort of a blog post that just came out from like the CEO of. of- Oculus describing how the deal took place in like half an hour or something. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, I didn't read it, so I'm not going to comment on it. We, have, we have $2 billion for you. Okay, we'll take it. <laughs> it's like Zuckerberg was passing by the front door and took the elevator up and just brought a briefcase over and handed it over or something. It's just silly. Just so, silliness. So now, but see, so the real, so there's all the details of like, whatever. If this is good for Oculus or bad for Oculus or whatever. But that's all kind of irrelevant in terms of like, the real core geek pain, which is just that he is, you know, assimilated with the Borg. And that was what, you know, as soon as I saw this, I instantly thought of you and tweeted you and you were already on it, tweeting about it and <laughs> sad and crying. And, but so that's the part that's interesting is like, so now is this hurt his like, you know, so this guy invented doom. He basically invented, you know, a multi tens of billion dollar industry. Like, 
he's a super genius coder. Everybody wants to be, uh, you know, he's, he, uh, even just his personality is very approachable somewhat in that quirky geek sort of way. Yeah. You can talk to him, but you won't understand him. Right. Like you won't understand him, but you know where he's coming from, right? Like he's that kind of guy, like he's somebody you can relate to. So now like, does this hurt? Does this hurt? I mean, it must hurt that, but like, is he now like completely shunned? Like the notch guy is essentially saying, I shun you, you know? No, I haven't seen any backlash against, I haven't seen any backlash against, I mean, directly like, against him. Carmack would have to like start kicking puppies on a daily basis. For, <laughs> <laughs> for for the, like you said, it's not technically probably his decision. So yeah, he's, he's, it's not his. As company. long as he's an employee of either Zenimax or or um, Bethesda or or Oculus or Facebook, then you know he'll he'll retain his uh, halo uh, without being you know uh, marred by anything that the, the people above him are doing. And uh, he, he's fine. I mean, he wants to do exactly what he's been doing for decades, and that's what he's doing. He, he showed enough that he doesn't care about what's you know who runs the the ship, as long as he's you know not contractually obligated to stay there. And for all you know, he'll leave and do something else. I mean, I would think that Facebook would lock down the key employees for some period of time. For some period of time, yeah. Because yeah. you don't want to like spend two billion dollars and then Carmack leaves. You're bu- you're essentially like buying the Carmack and a few other dudes. Yeah. I don't know. The whole thing is pretty wild i wonder what facebook's gonna buy next you know yeah facebook announces the purchase of facebook that was the tweet <laughs> that is a tweet from yesterday i forgot who tweeted it that was, that was funny it's amazing how much money they must be making though i mean i guess they're doing all right yeah i still so don't God, care about there. there's so many ads well that's what that's what this thing is is like the the sort of the piece of pr that that left Facebook, after they bought the Oculus, was like that. They're looking forward to bringing virtual reality into the world of social sharing, and that's like puke. Right, that's like the worst yeah. possible thing. Yeah. Could have said. <laughs> um, so, nothing about this is good. Just you want. I mean, Reddit is not a place where you go and 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 seek mercy. Right. But uh, if you want just like the feel of what people think about this, it's it's pretty accurate. I'll put the link to the Reddit thread where. Um, Palmer Lockie's trying to save some save face and fails. Yeah, like literally every one of his comments has like 200 negative votes. Like he's way way below zero. <laughs> so that's that's that. I don't have any other thoughts on the Carmack thing. Uh, I'd be happy if he. I don't know what I'd be happy about. I, it, it's sad because if it was just him and it was just like a, a theoretical thing that, you know, he's getting acquired as a person or whatever, uh, <laughs> then he would just leave after a couple of years and things would return to normal. But, like, there's, like, a lot of people that were thankful that something like the Oculus Rift is now a reality within their lifetimes because we weren't uh, – that didn't seem viable for a long time and now it really 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 is and to have a bullshit bullshit vc business zuckerberg backed thing ruin it um (laughs) is just um well you you that's what's odd this is where it's all crazy nowadays because like to me like one of the great cases for vc is like something like the oculus right like you need to build hardware like you're gonna need a manufacturing plant 
You're going to need parts. Right. You're going to need people. Somebody's got to put these widgets together. You're going to put them in a box. You're going to have to ship that box. Like, okay, so to me, like, that's where I get it. Like, now you need somebody to come and give you $500 million because it's impossible. You can't just build this on shipping bits across the internet. Like, you have to put a whole bunch of physical stuff in place in order to be able to actually produce this thing. So, like, it's it's interesting that I guess they felt they couldn't raise enough money on their own or something like that. It seems like so young to just get acquired like that and to, with the potential of like, because obviously the way most of these things usually go is they get acquired and a couple of years later, the whole thing's gone and shut down and they never actually ship anything. Uh, I sort of, sort of think that, I mean, this is also petty, but I sort of think that like if we had a bunch of those famous VC companies who only do is VC backing and if they put money into this, it wouldn't have been as bad. Even if it was like Microsoft or Google put money in, did this, yeah. it wouldn't have been as bad. But because it's Zuckerberg, <laughs> like it's seen as this sort of, uh, I have money and I want a toy power move type of a thing. Yeah. Uh, that makes well, nobody feel ickier. Like, there's no trust. I mean, he's like the last person on earth that most geeks would say they trust, right? Like, they, you know, everybody, you know, they're selling everything about you. Uh, you know, it's like I was messing around with Facebook ads the other day, like just to see how you even work them, mm-hmm. and I didn't like push one out. But uh, it's it's crazy. Like, so compared to like I played with LinkedIn ads a while back and they don't know like anything about you basically like you can just like say throw some ads out there somewhere and they throw ads out there somewhere i mean facebook's insane like you the age of the person male female their interests their locate like you have access to all of that to advertise against mm-hmm. which obviously from the advertiser perspective is appealing but then from the other side is like they are literally selling every single bit of info they know about you like anything you do on there they're aggregating all that and like figuring out how to sell you to anybody who'll pay these pennies that the Facebook ads cost. So like, you know, so obviously the trust factor is none with him. Whereas at least it was a bunch of VCs. You could kind of say, obviously they need to build these things, you know, okay, they have three or $10 million or whatever, but that's not going to get you into manufacturing an electronic device on a large scale or whatever. So, you know, that would, you know, make some sense that they would need to go that route. And retain control too. To me, it's shocking that they would give up control. I don't know, like so early. This isn't like at the end where like you've you've built it, you've proven it. People are just throwing money at you because it's awesome and it's changed the way everything works. And you're like, there's nothing else to do here. Now it's just about like milking the big cash cow. So I'm selling it and taking my payday and going home. This is like we haven't even done anything yet, basically, and we're already selling it and. Who you know? At any point, anybody can just be like, "Oh, you guys are done working on that, and that's it." <laughs> the um, Palmer Lucky is a young guy, and uh, Vicky said that um, he's essentially Wozniak running the company without the aid of a Steve Jobs. Mm. Um, I think it's kind of like just two Wozniaks <laughs> <laughs> sitting there uh, running a company without a Steve Jobs, and um, we got bought by you know. So. Facebook here. Um, I'm almost tempted. I'm almost tempted to go and pre-order the incomplete version now, just so I could bypass the ads that will be <laughs> thrown in there by the Facebook version. Hey, well, it might be a collector's item if the thing takes off. Can you actually buy them? Not they're like a thousand dollars or something. No, right? it's like three or five hundred dollars or something. Really? Yeah, order a, a developer kit. Yeah, 
I think you get like Doom Three with it or something, but there's not like much. Mm. I mean, you could you could like oh, yeah, three hundred make plus. stuff for it yourself. You're a developer, write a game and put it on there. It's fun. Just model your house and. 3D Studio Max or something on Maya and, and put it up there. You can walk inside your house, inside your house. <laughs> uh, that sounds like somebody with too much free time. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's sad, but whatever. Um, what do we wonder- got? What else we got? You got more thoughts on this? Uh, uh, I don't know. Not really, I guess. I guess I'll just have to see how it checks out. The uh the the what's his face dude, um, flappy flappy flapper wings oh, yeah. dude is is uh, there's a blog post that says he's gonna bring the game back. Oh, I think I saw that, <laughs> but not. But he hasn't yet. I don't think. Right? I don't think after he went on the whole uh, lifestyle coach, I'm pulling it because you're all getting addicted to this marvelous invention. Now he's, he's gonna... a marketing genius. <laughs> a marketing genius. He's going to bring it back and it's going to have some ridiculous like huge thing when you first start it that's like this game is addicting. Do not play it. And that's only going to make it even better. Like people are going to want it more. Crazy. Genius this guy. Crazy. Genius. Uh, kind of related to this. I was interesting to follow this thread because uh, kind of ties in with this is you know the box.com which is like secure-ish Dropbox yeah, you had this on there. you had this on on Trello, but I I I, 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 I it's not on my radar. Yeah, so, yeah. so basically, Box dot com uh, is going public, and it's very dot com ish. And actually, David uh, Heimler Hansen, who you know, is the Rails guy, was beating on it severely. But because uh, like they're you know they're enterprise, and so they're going public, and they're get, you know trying to get about two hundred fifty million dollars, but they're losing something crazy like $160 million a year or something like that. So even if they get, you know, even after they go public, you know, they're likely to still go out of business not too far in the future. And, uh, but they've raised already 300 million that they've blown through. And uh, it's just crazy. These companies, like that's the one of the first of these that's like really dot com feeling, you know, that's like this thing's going public. That's, has no business going public and is not a good investment for the average investor under any scenario since it's crazy losing money. And but now you see these these kind of things starting to sneak out there. It's not just like the Facebooks and um, these big, you know, they're already profitable or very close to profitable and huge. You know, this is like something that's totally super risky and uh, you know it's going to have its IPO. So. I'm waiting for the the dog sock puppet to make a comeback, <laughs> <laughs> or a fucked company that they gotta bring that back soon. Uh, I don't, I don't. That didn't, I didn't particularly enjoy living through the late '90s because of this, and I'm not looking forward to it coming back. I but, thought we might skirt around it because there is a lot. A lot of the deals are private now. You know, like I mean, if Facebook blows two billion on this thing and it doesn't work, it doesn't really impact kind of the market as a whole you know it's just facebook but if you have a lot of these that start going public then that's when you know the end is near <laughs> that's all right everybody just becomes a consultant and starts um starts uh doing work that way no and more room for the little guy i mean for bootstrappers it's good because some of these big vc back guys they're hard to compete with because they're willing to spend 
infinite amounts of money on advertising and on, uh, you know, uh, acquisition uh, that you can't really match. So, and they're willing to lose money. Like if you're willing to just lose $50, you know, every click and spend $1,000 to acquire a customer that makes you 200 over three years, then obviously that's not the uh, bootstrapper way. So... Bootstrappers, what's going on with uh, Snappy and the, your uh, content engineer? Good. Pub- publishing. Getting publishing rolling. Engine. Word, word slinger. Word slinger. Yeah, it's nice to, like, we did, uh, it's just nice to have somebody who writes really well around, actually, just in general. Like, we did this release of the new widget, which lets you, like, um, put a widget on your website, mm-hmm. uh, which you've seen, like, many support products do that. Um, Ours also has some other cool tricks, like you can put it inside your SaaS app and you can have it. Uh, the thing I really like using it for in Snappy itself is that, so you know how you'll have like question marks next to fields and you know, those open up help text or whatever. So you end up with like having a bunch of those in your app itself. And then you end up still having that same information, usually in more detail over on like your documentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the widget you know, you can program it to open to specific FAQ questions. Mm-hmm. So now you can just direct link and the widget will pop open and it'll show the same content that's out on your documentation, but within your app. Uh, so that's it's cool. kind of nifty. So you have everything in one place. Yeah, exactly. And, and it re- tracks all that stuff. So it reports like where people open from and if, um, they, if they still ended up contacting support and things like that. So there's a lot of like reporting stuff around it, which is kind of cool and different too. Um, so she wrote up like a nice post that's like the whole story of it. It's got like a theme and, you know, it's just a well-written piece versus, you know, the kind of uh, my kind of standard, here's what it does. There you go. So uh, that's been good. And we've been doing some surveys, which, you know, I've never done any surveying in 10 years around this business. So that's been really interesting. We actually just did, so we did Snappy last week. We did Help Spot this week. Um, and so that's, that's really interesting. Uh, quite a large percentage of people are actually responding to the survey, which is great to see. Um, and I thought it was kind of cool, the, uh, like in the Help Spot survey. Let's see what it is, but over 97%, you know, basically um, recommend help spots. That's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, pretty high. You could have that that as a marketing blurb on your website now. I know, I know. That's how, like, why have we never done this before? (laughs) What the heck's wrong with us? So, yeah, so that's been good. Uh, We're still trying to figure out, like, other things. There's a lot of things she'll be doing, like, all that kind of uh, new feature stuff, but um, also some more just like content type posts. And we're probably going to do some different things, especially with the snappy website. Um, and also a lot of the email campaigns and things like that kind of related to all that stuff is, so I was working through that par dot tool. Mm-hmm. I had to let it go. It <laughs> didn't work out. Did they give you your 12 bajillion dollars? They did. They, they worked okay. it out. I have to say, like, I mean, everybody there's really good, like, was very nice to work with. I, I don't really have any like thing negative to say, surprisingly. Uh, but it just doesn't do what we needed to do. Like it's just it's just geared for like. I thought we'd be able to avoid some of the aspects of, um, 
needing like a human sales team in between, but it's just too geared for that. And the API is a little bit too limiting to do certain things. So like it ended up where like half the app is just like non-functional for us. And when you're paying like a thousand dollars a month, that doesn't really seem like a good thing. So, uh, so, you know, that, that was a problem. So now we're kind of back to the drawing board. I'm kind of back to, I don't know. Part of me wants us to build kind of our own solution, but that is, you know, another big app uh, that's very complicated. So. I, I'd be interested in seeing you build because you're already putting stuff like that into Snappy, sort of like the, the tracking right. things that actually work and make sense. But I, I'm more interested from the engineering perspective because I'm not sure. Like I, I said this before to you, I, I want somebody to do like a mathematical proof that tells me whether it's even possible to base what you want it to do off of just cookies. Yeah, it's very difficult. Um, and I'm not sure that is possible. I think there might be some physical limitation for that <laughs> somewhere. And I want to see how close you could come. Because if anybody could, could, I mean, you yourself building it for yourself. So if anybody could do it, you'll do it. Uh, but I want to see if you're, if you're hitting some sort of weird technical limits <laughs> that you haven't seen, you know, from, from your perspective right now. Like, Well, I think one of the problems with it is... And I think it's, it is kind of essentially unsolvable. Uh, and that part is why I do think that most of the products just simply punt on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that, yeah, you can't, especially in B2B. So I think it works a lot better, a lot better in B2C or in B2B that's not really account centric, like where your app doesn't really have, uh, you know, 20 users all in the same business using it. Then mm-hmm. I think. It works a lot cleaner, um, you know. But that that like, part just seems like a matter of perspective. Like you could build an app that just looks at things that way and offer that feature to you, right? Right. Like, and that's how most the most of all of them that do do it essentially say we're going to ignore the concept of accounts and there's only people with email addresses. Mm-hmm. But you know, it breaks down a lot because like somebody signs up for one of our products and then they add twenty people. Well, I don't want to send all twenty of those people an email that says your trial's coming up for right. me. Like, because that doesn't make any sense for 10 frontline support people to get that email. Like, they don't care. They're just like trying this tool out and they've tried out three others and it's not their decision. So, I mean, there might be certain... Now, it's important to still have those people available potentially because maybe you do want to send them something. But, but, the, but So you need to segment those people out um, so none of them are designed to do that, basically, is the kind of the first problem. Um, there are some, like the track IO guys do it, but their thing's more metrics. Like it doesn't have the email integration aspects to it and some of the other marketing aspects. Like that's just more focused around tracking metrics. So with them, you can do it, which is cool that they have the concept of account and people within accounts for your, when you're tracking your metrics, but it's just metrics. It's not some of the other things. So, and all the ones that are more marketing focused, they just punt on that idea, basically. Um, so, you know, I mean, then there's the, you could obviously then just only track the decision maker. Um, but then a lot of times, like, that's not the person who buys. So that's where people, you know, you're, it kind of falls off your accuracy because, like, the person who found it and who's cookied isn't the same person who actually tries it and buys it. Uh, so that's where it definitely breaks down. So most of the tools either ignore it or they don't try to do the whole thing. So a lot of the tools are just about sending marketing emails and things to people who already have accounts. So Mm -hmm. they don't have any interest in figuring out how those people got accounts. You know, you then have to figure that out on your own. 
Um, and, but once they have accounts, okay, then you pass them like dates and email addresses and things. And based on whatever criteria you want, you can you know, automate the sending emails and things. So I don't know. But see, that's the thing. When you get into building something like that yourself, you know, there's a lot of complexity like tracking visits, switching them over into known users, which I do think could be done a lot better than all these tools do it. But still, you're going to lose people in there and there's going to be as soon as you add the concept of accounts, which is why everybody bails on this, it gets very complicated as to, you know, does the person, if we put this into Snappy, like I have to tell it who an owner is and who an owner isn't. And, you know, we have to really, there's a lot of work then to be done on the side of the person implementing, which they, mm-hmm. most of these tools want to avoid telling people they have a lot of work to do. They want to just say, throw this JavaScript snippet in. And we take care of everything, quote unquote, even though they really don't. Um, you know, so all of them, I think, also have very bad APIs for the most part because they aren't. They don't want to even push that aspect. Like, mm-hmm. even though you need to use the API to do anything close to getting a full picture, really, I think, or that, or you have to just give everything over to them, which I think is how a lot of people are using it these days. Like, in the more, you know, that they're very geared towards like delis and manufacturing companies, people who aren't technical, they're not building SaaS apps, and it's like, okay, you have a marketing agency come in, they set you up on one of these tools, they say, listen, this thing is your website now, you want to build a landing page, you build it through there. You want to add a form, you build it through there. So if you build everything through their tools, you know, then uh, it will work fairly kind of okay, but again, that's not really how we work, like we're not going to build every form through their form builder and there's all kinds of crazy stuff you have to do. So yeah, I think it's a mistake. I I kind of did the same thing with uh, Uberdeck, where I I leaned on the side of let's make the integration as easy as possible. And even though you could do everything by yourself on the, on the client side, um, because you have you still have access to everything that we have access to when we wrap this stuff for you to give you like the easier way of doing it with one line of code. You could still do it by yourself because you have access to the raw data that we're using it on the client side. Right. Um, it's a mistake, I think, uh, um, using that approach with developers because if you take a look at, like you're saying, that approach might work for people who are like marketers or something or designers and they come in and just do sort of client work for somebody and they want to use this tool visually. Right. But if, you, if your target audience is is a, a developer and I would have done a better job, I think, if I would have done things the other way, which is more like the Amazon way or the Mailgun way where all you get is the API. Right. And it's thinking, perfectly yeah, fine. Yeah, and uh, and and I think that 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 would have been a better approach, and I think maybe that's why you're suffering so much against because you know right. <laughs> you'll take the functionality, but you don't want any sugar coating on it. Yeah, which is an interesting idea for apps in general, right? Like the idea of like essentially an API only app, mm-hmm. um, although there's always more to it, right? But like where the core offering is an API essentially, which is kind of. Um, kind of an interesting aspect. But now I'm like, I've spent so much time into this thing, I'm kind of like, I don't know, we have so much work to do with HelpSpot and so much work to do with Snappy that I'm kind of like, you know, one of my big problems on the HelpSpot side was always that, and I hadn't looked into this for years, was that Google used to limit you to 30 days of cookie tracking. Yeah, arbitrarily. (laughs) Right, arbitrarily, but HelpSpot's trials are 45 and people often go longer. So, like, it was totally inaccurate. Um, But apparently with the new uh, Google Analytics 
cookie system if you implement their new JavaScript setup that uh, you can just define how long the cookie should be, which obviously mm-hmm. makes much more sense for different businesses that aren't just selling um, you know, to people who are buying just uh, on site, but for things to have trials and things like that. So, uh, so I don't know. I think that kind of stuff is already in place. I mean, you have to upgrade the JavaScript a few little things, but I might uh, take a first pass at Google doing a better job um, and slash one of these simpler uh, automation tools that are more just about email to existing customers and then see how that goes. And if that fails, then... You should offload this thing to a dream team, spin off a different company. (laughs) You provide the ideas and what you want. I'll I'll implement it. We'll have to bring somebody else in to do some other stuff and we'll see how, whose product is going to be, but you'll get to use it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, well, we just hashed through most of it. If you want to take a stab at it, go for it. I think, uh, yeah, you know, it's like when you get into the detail, like I actually first wanted us to build this like after Laracon EU, I got, um, cause I had first looked into some of the other tools and they were all garbage. And so on the, like the plane ride home, this is in Amsterdam. I like spent the whole time like specking this thing out and then I was like, no, it's just too much work. It's just too big. And so now I'm kind of on it again, but then I've gotten back into like specking it and I'm like, you know, it's just too big. It's huge. Like when you really get in there and if you really want to track all this stuff, it's a huge, huge application with a lot of moving parts and APIs and email sending, which I mean, just that alone is a big disaster. Like you have to build a way for people to have templates and then send emails and make it so a normal person can send an email and, you know, you get into a lot of complexity there. So I don't know, but it's on my, it's, luckily it's one of those things that, well, that's the other thing. So here's my other problem with it, which is totally unrelated. Because I think it actually could be a good business. Like, I think it's a fine business. Like, I think we could build it, and I think we could do a decent job, and I think we could have some customers, and we could sell it. But we already have two of those products. Do you know what I mean? Like, if we're going to go out on a limb and stretch ourselves thin and do something else, I feel like I want it to be something that's further out there. Like, this still feels almost, like, too safe, you know? <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a B2B, and you can charge money for like. And I like more money, but it's also more headache. Like it's another thing that has to be up all the time because of like people's data is in there and people freak out if you lose anything like that. And like, I don't know, like I want, I think I might want to like, if we're going to build a third thing, like it's something that's a little farther, farther afield or something. I don't know. YouTube clone. Yeah, there you go. Something like that. Something simpler, but Something simpler, not not a business app that's so deep and complex and so much heavy detail inside of it, you know. Yeah, yeah I don't have any answers. I was actually <laughs> considering um, some sort of a support tool for mobile that you build <clears throat> into an SDK that you provide for iOS and Android. Well, that's kind of like Uber Deck. I mean, you could tweak Uber Deck into that. Yeah, but there's another so. company that does this already, and they're pretty big. I don't remember what they're called. Yeah, there's only one. That's not so so bad. Yeah, but they have like they're a remote support company, and that's just like one of their things. Mm-hmm. Mobile is the K type of thing. So, eh, yeah, whatever. so that's that's not even. I like that. I, I actually thought about that for Uber Deck forever ago. <sighs> it's kind of like I mean that's basically what it is. Essentially, you have to tweak a few little things about it. Yeah, Uber Deck is too slow. It's too slow. It's like a slow kid. 
Move. Sass is crazy. Every day, like we're just gonna talk about this every day for like the no. next five years about how it's just like sass. creeping forward. Done with sass. <laughs> so what's going on over in your world? Um, still doing consulting stuff, client work. I'm perfectly happy just relaxing this year with client work, but it doesn't look too good when you have like 2014 that's empty of products. Well, actually, but it's kind of like that's where it's okay to be empty of products in a sense, right? It's like consulting is kind of the opposite. Like people are like. You haven't done anything in years or something, but product, nobody knows. Just one day you release a new product. Yeah. yeah. No, we're still working, we're still working on uh, uh, the kids' uh, iPad. Oh, yeah. Uh, but there's just so little time left from, from the consulting stuff. You got to hire a helper. A helper. Yeah. You got, that's the thing with consulting. You got to keep adding people. Yeah, I don't want to get into that. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm treating the consulting, the year of consulting, as a rest. It's, it's, uh, it's actually not as stressful as just thinking about all that stuff that goes into building new products. I'm taking it as a, as a respite. It's a change in strategy as a respite. That's a good idea. I'm doing the work. I'm getting money, and I don't have to think about even naming this thing, which is like it. It sounds trivial but like if i start a new product that the product that we're doing right now for the ipad for for kids yeah. i spent three days just, just i i cannot even do you a can't. get in it on it no until i have a name you can't do it you gotta have a name the name gives the thing its personality you gotta have a name first and if you don't have the name you it doesn't have a personality and it might might as well just be bullshit throwaway code because <laughs> I, I can't even do bullshit throwaway code without a name. Like, like here's the thing. I, I built that tool for myself the other day, uh, the Twitter client, because all I wanted to know was, because I'm, I'm a 14-year-old girl, all I want to know is who's not following me on Twitter, who I'm following, because mm-hmm. I needed to unfollow them right away, because that's not fair. <laughs> So okay. <laughs> if, I'm following, if I'm following somebody and they're not following me back, then I need to unfollow them right away. And uh, <laughs> so that all these that tools, make any sense. all these, what, what do you mean? If I'm because following Twitter, them. That the whole point of Twitter is you're defeating the entire purpose of Twitter. Fuck Twitter. I don't care. Well, that's whatever. the whole purpose. No, whatever. Listen to me. So, <laughs> so this tool is so simple, but. All they have are SaaS offerings. Where they pay them like 20 bucks a month or something for them to tell you, for them to do a cross-reference call and hey, here's a list of people that you're following. Here's a list of people that are following you. Who's on one list? Who's not on the other list? So for the longest time, I thought like this this has got to be like a free offering somewhere. But all of these things are like slimy. Like they ask you to like unlock all of these direct message uh, um, permissions for them yeah. to be able to do it for you and and integrate it into Facebook and you can't log in with an email and password. You have to log in with like a Facebook account to access a, to access a Twitter stream. It's like all oh, so slimy. Right. So, and I didn't want to pay 20 bucks a month for it because this is like real, like like two curl calls. And this is exactly what it wound up being. I opened up, um, I put an app in the Facebook API because you got to define an app in order to do anything with the Facebook, uh, I mean Twitter API. You got to define an app on there. And then I wrote the app and it's 20 lines of PHP code and it's two curl calls essentially. And I got my answer of who's not following me back. But the thing that links it back to the name is that you can't create, like you can't use their API without defining an app. And to define an app, you need to give it a name. 
<laughs> and you can't. And, and you were stuck there. And for I'm, minutes. I'm already paralyzed right there. It's like a 20 line app that I wanted to literally do in like 15 minutes before going to bed. And I'm paralyzed because it needs a name. It needs to be unique. And I can't have the word Twitter in it. So I usually default to something like Antair Twitter tool and whatever. Right. It goes into a subversion or Git or something. But you can't use the word Twitter in it. It's not like, oh, fuck. Now I spent three hours thinking of a name for it. <laughs> <laughs> to build, it's Anter Goigel. Goigel is the word for bird in Yiddish. Because right. <laughs> everybody uses Latin or something, and right. I just went with Yiddish because it has like great sounding words in it. Oh, so it's Anter Goigel. And nobody has access to it except for me. It's just like one PHP file with 20 lines of code. I run it like once a month or something. But like this bullshit little thing that shouldn't even exist as an entity, I couldn't start on it until like it had a name. Because the name is everything. Everything anchors off the name. Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> um, yeah, so if anybody wants Antero Goigle, I'll give it to you. But you need to set up your own your yeah, own app. app API access. Yeah. So I was thinking about... So here's the, here's the thing. Somebody out there in SaaS world is making loads of money charging people 20 bucks a month for two curl codes and 20 lines of code. <laughs> I don't think that's true. Just seems that way. Like that social bro I use, which obviously is like horrifically named and is a little <laughs> bit sleazy, but it's pretty good. Like, and there's like tons of stuff it does that, and it's free. So you miss that it's free, but for two two accounts, it's free for. And uh, you can slice and dice everybody up and do all kinds of crazy stuff. It's pretty good. Uh, okay, I just wanted to know. Who I could be petty. I know. I know. You you had to build it yourself. One thing, the tiniest of all things, has to be built yourself. <laughs> can't can't let anybody else build that. I build everything myself. That's what I always. That's why I worry about like with the other thing too. It's like obviously most developers' intrinsic nature is to build it themselves. So you always got to watch out for that. You know, Social Bro is free for fifteen days. Oh, maybe they changed it. Maybe I'm on some uh, free tier that no longer exists. It is only two accounts, but it's only for 15 days. Oh, I'm definitely not paying. I so <laughs> switched off of freemium. Maybe you're signed up to so many sasses. Probably I did when I got when I posted my "How to Clear Out Your Twitter" thing. Probably uh, I sent them so much business. They were like, "Heck with all this free crap." All right, we're running over an hour. You got anything else? I was thinking about, I want to do a blog post on this, but I feel like I should talk about it here first because okay. it's kind of a continuation of last week. So last week we were talking about, like, obviously all the growth hackers, blah, blah, And then how it's all about money. And like, like that we weren't necessarily like only about money, even though we like money. I don't, think, I was, that, I don't think that's true. You don't think did, that's did, true? Did this come up last week? That yeah, we talked hacking, about it. I don't think growth hacking is all about money. I don't think we're... Only not about whatever you just said. I, I think it's mixed. I think there's growth hackers who are in it for the game, and yeah. the money is just the points. And I think there's, there's the and thing. I think there's bootstrappers who are. There are definitely bootstrappers who are in it just for the money. Yeah, that's true. They, they, they just don't have any other avenues to, to because they're like weird or antisocial or something, and they yeah, just don't want to go through the hassle of VC funding. I'm not saying this is a universal truth. But I'm saying... Okay, fine. So you want to do a black and white Star Wars Western thing with yeah, us and them. It's like, you know, the growth hacker, whether you want to say growth, the growth hacking is about keeping score with the money or it's about just that they only care about their business being bigger and 
hints about the money. Uh-huh. I think that's kind of like the same thing, at least for purposes of discussion. Okay. So I feel like for a lot of us in the old days, like the freedom aspect was a big part of it. Like that is, that is a big component. Like the freedom to do what you want to do and not be beholden to somebody else or be even be beholden to making more money necessarily. Like, like we can make decisions that are not in our best financial interests. Whereas mm-hmm. I feel like a growth hacker would never do that. You know what I mean? Like they would measure it and they'd be like, no, like this, okay, I waited two weeks and this thing doesn't make us more money, so forget it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I look at growth hacking as sort of like like our bootstrapping stuff, especially what you described where it's like a, it's like a, a freedom thing and it's more of what you do. Uh, at how you live your life type of a thing. I'm not going right. to use the word lifestyle business, but that's sure. what I'm talking about. Um, and uh, the growth hacking thing is more like a, a tactic in the sub thing that you do as a sub thing that you do as part of your daily thing. Like you could replace that growth hacking with some non-fishy thing and still be part of that, you know, the lifestyle uh, I don't know. I think most people who are into the growth hacking, they, that's how they define themselves. Like we would define ourselves as bootstrappers. They would define themselves as growth hackers. Really? You think it's that yeah. that level of I do. comparison? Right. Like the skeezy person who posted on our boards. She like, talked about growth hacking like 10 times in that post and how that's what they're all about. Like I feel like that's how they define themselves. They're not all of them and they're not like obviously you have the sleazy ones and the not sleazy ones, whatever. But I feel like people who are like, we are all about the growth hacking. This is how we're going to succeed. That is, that's not like, it's not part of the stuff they do for marketing. And the rest of it is, you know, they do other businessy stuff. It's the growth hacking is their plan. But that makes it, that makes it feel even more sleazy. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's always been my take on it. I don't know, maybe, maybe I don't have the right take. But I if, it, if it was part of just like a marketing tactic, then you're just misguided and you learn your lesson and you'll adjust. But if it's like, that's what you are, yeah, I then mean, that, that's just, that's all kind the of stuff I disturbing. Read on it, it's always written that way. It's like, this is what we do. Like, we measure every single thing. We don't do anything without this measurement stuff. And then it's all about how we can skis the system to, you know, increase our percentage points here or there. Like that's the whole, that's what, how they represent themselves. So maybe that's not really true. And I'm sure it's not true for all of them. And I'm sure there's obviously the good ones and the bad ones and the bad ones are doing things that are just spam, but now they have this new term so they can say, no, 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 it's growth hacking, but really it's just spam. Um, So I think it's used a lot as a cover, obviously for, you know, to be able to just spam me with email as so many of them do. Uh, and that you know you never signed up for blah blah blah, but it's okay because they're growth hacking; they're not spamming. But uh, it gave me I, a I whole know. new perspective on this, and that I don't, I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> but so see, so I was thinking about this. I was like, I love I love the stuff that I do that doesn't make us any money necessarily, like this podcast, right? Like this podcast doesn't make us any real money, right? Like, I mean, maybe a few more people heard about our products, whatever. Like, it's not a substantial amount of income, I don't think, for either of us, the podcast. You but certainly don't track it. I definitely don't track it. <laughs> so I, so obviously, like, the growth hackers could be like, see, maybe you don't know, maybe blah, blah, blah. Maybe you're making tons of sales off it. But I, I, I see, this again, a difference, because I talk to our customers, right? Like, I know them. Not, not every single one, but I know many of them. And I know that that it's not something that's a regular conversation um, about 
So, you know, I started on the podcast and then I bought 20 snappy users or whatever. Like, again, I'm sure there has been some, but it's not, you know, the time we put into this is not necessarily offset by how much money we make because of it. Oh, that's Um, definitely true. Right. Uh, You know, we do stuff like, you know, I don't know, just the things we can do for the employees. Like we do, we do summer hours, right? Like, so everybody gets like this year, we're actually doing it different. Like we used to do half days, but now we have more people. So we're going to do every other week in teams and people get three day weekends. So they get all Friday off. Um, but that's, you know, so that's just something we could do. Like obviously productivity wise, everybody could work more and uh, that would be better in theory, but whatever we could, we have the freedom to do what we want to do and run the business. We want to run it. And that is a big, you know, benefit of it. Like we're not beholden to other people and we're not only focused on maximizing revenue. So we can do other things that aren't. But do you think the growth hacking thing also uh, sort of like sacrifices that, that, that back end parts of it to uh, optimize the revenue thing? Like would they not allow their employees to work uh, less because that would decline their revenues? I don't know. Or is the growth hacking more on optimizing the specific revenue channels and then those need to rise in percentage as well? Uh, the other stuff could, could still be looser. I think that's probably true. It's probably more of a case by case on something like that. But it's still the point of like the freedom being a goal in and of itself versus something that maybe you can acquire just because you have more revenue. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's kind of subtle, but I still find it as a distinction there. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Do a blog post. Yeah, I got to write it up in a blog post. I got to put it all together. Um, All right. We're like in an hour and a half, and I got to run because I got got stuff to do. I'm a busy man. Busy man. Busy, busy. Noon hour uh, podcast. That's the problem. Today is not proper uh, time to explore the space. I took the time, and when uh, Ethan went to uh, Ethan went for a nap to do a podcast, now he's waking up, so it's going to be impossible to do more. (laughs) I got to straighten out your household situation. (laughs) I was actually I was actually looking for some office space around here, but it's just impossible. Suburbia and office, like forget sharing. Sharing is just like a pipe dream. Having a shared co-working type of thing but just even office spaces is just nothing. there's just nothing what about you guys building an addition out back i do have a sort of a, a thing out back but it would need like 30 grand worth of work to even send electricity and heat and everything through that space yeah but you know then you're adding to the value of your house so it's you know i guess i'd rather not, change the floors you could do that too <laughs> go, go for it um yeah so money just go to the bank gotta figure something out it's uh it's a lot of work now and uh and uh the way the house is positioned you could hear everything that's going on everywhere so i can't work out of the library because then i'm just like giving up like a good setup here and work on a little screen all day that's a little weird you gotta you got you're pretty pretty crafty why don't you get out get some hammers and i'm not crafty at all Go fix up their like garage or something you could fix up or just a I sling bits around. I can't hammer a nail for to save my life. You could get one of those um pre built like little room things, but then you just gotta put like heat in it. 
<laughs> electricity. But that would cost you a lot less than building actual structure. You reminded me yesterday, I watched an episode of uh, Bob's Burgers. There was a guy selling indoor outhouses. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got to run. Uh, thanks, guys, for listening. You have anything else before I sign off? Uh, I'm good. All right. Uh, thanks, guys, for listening. We're at bootstrapped.fm. Discussion forums are blowing up over at uh, discuss.bootstrapped.fm. So join us on there. And uh, we'll talk again again next week, I guess, right? Yep. Sounds good. All right. Bye-bye. Later.